Welcome to this edition of the Peace and Power Podcast, where we rediscover the life of peace and power envisioned in God's Word. Somewhere deep within, each of us desires an inner flow of peace and power that transforms our daily attitudes, relationships, and life decisions. So we now turn to God's message, the Bible, as it teaches us to live in that flow of spirit peace and spirit power. It may be helpful for you to follow the outline of each talk, which is available in the show notes. And you will find the full transcript on our website, peaceandpowerpodcast.com. That's peaceandpowerpodcast.com. Here is Dr. Jim Coleman with today's Bible Talk. Most Americans know the name John Hancock. We know because his signature rests prominently and artistically at the end of the Declaration of Independence. In his own lifetime, there were quite different opinions of Mr. Hancock. The people of Massachusetts regarded him so highly that they re-elected him again and again as their governor. His detractors accused him, though, of being driven to uh, merely shape his image as a populist. But there is one characteristic about John Hancock which anyone who is fair toward him must agree. He was courageous. He had been elected president of the Second Continental Congress, so actually it was his printed name alone on the original version of the Declaration. When the completed handwritten version was ready for signing in August of 1776, Hancock was the first to sign it, then the other members of Congress. The rumor that Hancock signed it so large so the British king and parliament could see it without their glasses or spectacles may or may not be true. But without doubt, that's the message Hancock wished to send. And this made him enemy number one in England. In fact, the British government extended the possibility of pardon to all revolutionaries who would retract their intentions except for John Hancock and Samuel Adams. If the revolution was lost, or even while it was underway, Hancock was likely the first to be publicly hanged. Behind his speeches and actions and that bold signature was a courage that few people ever have. You and I would like to believe that in a moment of great danger or opportunity, we would be courageous. We would step out when others retreated. We would be decisive when others weighed their options. We would do what was right, regardless of the consequences. That's courage. Today, if you believe in the Christian worldview and in Jesus' teaching, you will be countercultural. And that calls for courage. Let's look at just three examples. The prevailing worldview in Western culture today regarding creation is that this world is a lucky accident. It has no set purpose. And the basic guideline for life is to please yourself and to win the contest of the survival of the fittest. And you are a really great person if you are friendly and nice and do good along the way. The Christian worldview is that this universe was deliberately spoken into being, 
by an infinite God who created humans as image bearers of their creator, created to be like God, with God-given rights and meaning and purpose for life and for eternity. So you know you'll be labeled negatively whenever you express that creational biblical view. It will require courage. Here's another example. Relativism insists that there is no universal truth, something that's true for everyone. There is what is true for me, my truth, and what is true for you, your truth. Which also means there really is no moral right and wrong, other than what I feel is wrong for me, and you feel what is wrong for you. And even if you have a mountain of evidence that my truth is not true, and my right is actually inaccurate and harmful and even destructive, you should not express that according to relativism. But Jesus taught there are moral absolutes for which we are accountable to God. And if you believe that, you will be labeled as an uncaring or a narrow-minded person. It will require courage A third example, Jesus taught that if you are a humble and merciful peacemaker, rather than being embraced and loved, you will most likely be persecuted for that way of life. You will need courage. Maybe the greatest description of courage in the Bible, other than when Jesus went willingly to the cross, is at the very beginning of the book of Joshua. Interestingly, the name Jesus was, in Hebrew, Yeshua, or Joshua. Joshua is Moses' successor, and Moses had, in his own way, been a tremendously courageous but humble leader. Joshua had already displayed courage when, on a select group reconnaissance mission, uh, which returned and gave a majority recommendation to Moses that the Israelites were way outmatched militarily and should not enter Canaan, the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb said, Without God, we will be defeated. But with God, we can do this. God has told us to enter, so let's go for it. In this first chapter of the book of Joshua, he has become the military and spiritual leader of ancient Israel, and he must pick up the vision God has for leading God's people into the freedom and prosperity of the promised land. This leadership role is not for the faint of heart. Will he have the courage to move forward? So here, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you 
as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, as God so graciously always does, God speaks to Joshua and reminds Joshua that the road ahead is really more about God and God's plan and God's power than Joshua. Do you need reminding today that God's will for your life is really more about God and far less about you? Do we need reminding as Christians that God's calling for us is really about God's plan and the Holy Spirit's power rather than our programs? That kind of an adventure of faith requires courage. Notice briefly in this list how God gives this courage to Joshua, and he offers it to us in similar ways through Holy Spirit power. First, the Lord speaks to Joshua. Verse 1 of chapter 1 in Joshua. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and God said... So God spoke to Joshua, gave a message to Joshua. God is a speaking God, sometimes verbally, but usually through other means. God is not silent. God had been speaking to and through Moses, and God would do the same for Joshua, because God desired to guide him and ancient Israel into the good life. God had been guiding Moses and Israel in a very visible way through the movement of a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. We read about that in Exodus chapter 13. Whenever and wherever it guided, Moses and Israel pulled up the tent stakes and they followed. For 40 years they were guided in this way. But God also gave them the law through Moses to guide their hearts and their minds and their lifestyle. God is so gracious to speak to imperfect humans like us. Just as God spoke a message to Moses and Joshua, God still speaks. God speaks to us. I hope you've heard the Lord's voice, not necessarily verbally, but spiritually, speak to you, guiding you. Sometimes that voice comes through others. Sometimes it comes through circumstances. But when you hear God's voice, it makes you courageous. God is not going to be wrong in what God says or wrong in where God guides. And we can have absolute confidence, not arrogance, but confidence in God. And that confidence inspires 
courage to do as God says and to go where God leads. Verse 2 reads like this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. What the Lord speaks to Joshua is a challenging calling. Can you imagine how challenging this was? And remember, when God called Moses at the burning bush, Moses brought out a whole list of reasons why God shouldn't call him. We don't see Joshua pull a a list out of his uh, pocket, but we can be assured that in this moment, as his leadership begins, Joshua has feelings of insecurity. Don't you know that he prays, Lord, are you sure it's me? Now we know that God's calling is both a general calling for all of God's people and a specific calling for each of us. When Jesus gave the challenge, come follow me, to his disciples, it was both a group calling and an individual calling. Each of them would be challenged to follow God's will for their life. What makes the church so exciting is that we're all called and that we're each called. The Apostle Paul pictured it very vividly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he writes this, All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So we know already that God spoke to Joshua and said, I am guiding you. And then God challenged Joshua, I am calling you. And next we see that God promises something to Joshua. I have given to you. If Joshua has any feelings of inferiority lingering in his mind and heart, next God says three things to evaporate those fears. The first is that God makes Joshua a promise in verses 3 and 4. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness to the south, to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. So, God promises that Joshua will have land given to him along the way. And we do learn that he has to fight for that land. But the land is given to him. God's earlier covenant with Abraham would come true. Why should Joshua be confident and courageous? Because God always keeps God's promises. God also makes a reassurance. I will be with you. This should evaporate the fears of Joshua. The Lord reassures Joshua... I will be with you. Remember, this is what Jesus promised to his apostles as he was leaving the earth. I am always with you. Christians today embrace that same promise. Jesus says to them, I am always with you. How can our courage be shaken when we know that Jesus is with us? Who can intimidate us when we are reassured That Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, stands right by our side, present with us as we begin to feel insecure and alone. 
Those are powerful and comforting words. And then a third message to ease Joshua's fears is that the Lord encourages, I will strengthen you. The final part of this promise, I will strengthen you, looks ahead to when Joshua will be tested. His leadership, his wisdom, his decisions will be tested. And the testing will take a toll on his mind, on his faith. Will it wear him down? No, the Lord will supply Joshua with the inner strength necessary, just as God does for us. So, there's one final word that after these three promises that break through Joshua's fear, one final word that's given. It is a condition. Joshua and those whom he is leading must follow God's ways. In uh, verses 7 and 8, we have those words in the phrase, I will require you. And then following that is the requirement to study the law and to follow the law. The Mosaic law revealed God's heart and God's will. And Joshua and the Israelites must study that law to know God's heart and God's will and follow that law if they are to live in God's ways. And then they will experience from those ways the blessings that God has promised all the way back to Abraham and then to Moses and now to Joshua. They can live out their faith courageously. God's goal in requiring anything is to transform our desiring to follow God's ways. It's not about the rules. It's about who we become when we're shaped by that way of life. You know, in his own life circumstances, John Hancock needed courage to fulfill his calling in history. In living out your faith, you need courage too. God doesn't want us to live in the shadow of fear, a fear of expressing our worldview or living out our moral convictions. And Joshua was to lead God's people into a promised land and to do so confident that God's plan would be accomplished by God's presence and power. And as God guides you, you should have the same confidence. Jesus, the greatest Joshua, faced his call from the Father with commitment and courage. The Holy Spirit is placed within Jesus' followers to strengthen and literally encourage, to place courage within for all that is ahead, as an individual Christian and as Christians together in the church. All of us and each of us are believers that are called, and you can live with God-given courage for your calling. Thank you for listening to the Peace Empower podcast today, and we invite you to subscribe to hear the next upcoming Bible talk. Again, our website is peaceandpowerpodcast.com, and our prayer is that God's Word has brought you a greater sense of a supernatural flow of God's peace and power in your life.